When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On today's podcast, we're going to kick things off with a discussion on evolution and how things evolve in our game. And one of my favorite thinkers and writers on the game is Homer Smith. And he wrote a series of manuals back in the 90s that he self-published, printed out on a copier, and would send out. And one of those was called A History of Football Concepts. And in his introduction, uh, two great paragraphs here. In 1946, the Great Depression was over. Our battlefield enemies were prostrate and football was stabilized. Football had two offenses and two defenses. Emphasis was on practicing efficiently, doing fundamentals religiously, and polishing existing weaponry unendingly. Then, with General Douglas MacArthur saying that he had felt special capabilities in Men of the Gridiron, a new era opened. Strong, confident men set out to attack defenses Equal men dug in to destroy the attackers. War was to be continued on the football field. So he goes into it then and talks about how things evolved from two offenses and two defenses. And he takes it all the way, like I said, to about 1990. And it's such an interesting discussion. And that's part of what we're going to talk about here today. So joining me is the defensive coordinator of the USFL Michigan Panthers, Dan Carroll. Dan, I'm excited about this topic today. Yeah, it's a topic I think that to understand where you are, you need to understand kind of where you came from and how things got there. So I do think it's an important thing for for people to think about a little bit and just kind of have some understanding of if you know where you've been and where you're at, where it might be going. And when we look at the the evolution of specifically the three safety defense, which we're going to get into here today and talk a little bit about TCU, it was developed to stop the spread. It was developed – take the inside to be played over the top of some of the defenses with the tight fronts, but defenses that take away the inside gaps, force things lateral and allow faster defenders to come up and make the play. And when you look at it, it's also taking away some of the concepts that are favorite of spread offenses. So it it does make things more difficult in how you have to attack it. But I think all of this, and we'll touch on it, all of it still goes back to what he said here is that It is still about practicing efficiently, doing fundamentals religiously, and polishing existing weaponry unendingly. Yeah, certainly, as of today, when you watch the three safety systems today work, you think about how they limit the spread offenses. But you you can take it back, and I was fortunate enough to coach at the University of New Mexico, and we were running some three safety there, but they also were doing that with Rocky Long back in the 90s when Brian Urlacher was in school there. Brian Urlacher was the middle safety for them uh, when they would play that system. They called it the Lobo. I think we would all agree that you know, that's the late, mid to late 90s. That was not the heart of the spread offense era. That was not the RPO era. So there's always been you know, some reasons to maybe get into this structure and to play the three high defense. And I think the first one you think about is it's very hard for an offense to make you short in the run game. 
because the guy that can make it right is, has time and distance, and he's not in the box count to be blocked. So very rarely is he blocked in the run game unless they're getting creative and trying to crack him. But for the most part, he's able to show up in the run game. And, you know, obviously he's not at four yards or three yards, so he's got to trigger really fast to, to play efficiently. But, you know, you can see that there's, there's really some run game advantages to having that guy who's always going to make your numbers right you know, off the ball, you know, eight to 10 yards off the ball. And so I would think that that was probably a big part of why they did it then. Now you look at it as an answer to spread offenses. And like you said, it makes everything go lateral. There's so much RPO game and glance game and quick hit game and everything that happens going back toward the quarterback to make an easy throw back toward the quarterback, slants back toward the quarterback, glances back toward the quarterback. And now you put somebody right in that window who might be cutting to one of those guys, or he might be flat-footing, or he could be bailing out of there and playing the third. I think it, it forces people to play perimeter game a lot more, play throw. I mean, I think Texas probably threw, I can think of in my head, at least three field stop routes. Very long throw to make. I know Quinn, Quinn Ewers has a, a great arm and, and obviously a highly rated quarterback, but to be on college hashes and to rip the ball out on a 12-yard comeback to the field three or four times, you know, you're, you're really relying on the fact that your wideouts are pushing the corners off with breaking them off real good with the routes, and then the ball is going to be exactly where it's going to be, or you're putting the ball in some danger. So to go through those mechanics and do that, obviously Texas made a decision that we don't want the ball going through the middle of the field very much. So, you know, I think when you look at it from an evolution standpoint, I do believe, as a, even as a defensive coach, I, I think the offense typically has the pen last. They're the people who are driving the change in the game more than anything. And they drive the change, the defense catches up or gets a step ahead, and then they drive the change again. And that's kind of how it, it appears to me. And, you know, maybe not everybody agrees with that or has a better perspective, but it always looks that way to me. That we're always going to find a way to stop what they're doing, and then they're going to do something else, and then we're going to find a way to stop that, and then they're going to do something else, and we're going to find a way to stop that. So the answer, I think a lot of people, the ball comes out so quick now in the past game. So it, when it was, it's quick game, it's RPOs, it's the glances, it's, you know, it's the relief throws to the perimeter, it's the glances down the field from the RPO world, and then it's quick game. And, you know, I mean, so many yards are made on, you know, stick routes and hitches and option routes that I think that the world of people are throwing the ball at will, we need to rush them and blitz them is not as prevalent now as maybe it was 10 or 12 years ago. Or if you had a pass rush, people couldn't throw the ball. Well, the concepts now, are able in a lot of ways to negate a great pass rush because the ball is coming out quicker than you can get back there. So, so if you look at, you know, I can remember in, I believe it was 2019, and I was at New Mexico. If you looked at the Big 12, everybody that was playing good defense in the Big 12 was playing some version of drop eight. Baylor, Iowa State was playing it. Texas was getting into it at times. So, like, you could watch that tape. You could pull that stuff up. And Baylor, I believe, went to the conference championship that year, lost to Oklahoma. And you could pull that stuff up, and you were going to see this three-high safety structure, a drop-eight structure, and guys playing in the windows of all these glances and quick game as opposed to playing man and bringing four, five, or six guys. So, I think that it is a great answer when you're in a spread league. It is a great answer when you're seeing a lot of 10 and 11. And uh, I can talk through – we'll talk through some of the, the fits and just – how some of that stuff come to be but when we ran it at new mexico in 2019 our defensive coordinator actually met with iowa state and got kind of their version of it and that's how we 
matched up in the run game because the one thing I thought they do the best was people think offensive coordinators tend to think, and I, I know this because a few that I've worked with tend to think when they see that structure, they can just run the ball. And it is very much not that easy. It is very much not that easy. Like it is, that is a, a flawed line of thought. Now you might be able to run the ball if your linemen are going to push them around and, and they can pull around and knock the backers back and push the D linemen around. Sure. I mean, I'm not saying you can't run the ball against it, but, but just to say that, that you look at that structure and think, okay, run the ball and we'll be good. That's not my experience having studied it and having played it. Well, before we get into maybe some of the things that offenses might do to adjust to this and get the chalk back in their hands, let's talk a little bit about how this fits, how these run fits look. Yeah, so the thing that was interesting to us and why we liked it at the, at the University of New Mexico, and you know, as I was with Coach Bob Davey and Jordan Peterson, our defense coordinator, and they liked it because see how aggressive the inside linebackers can play. When we went and met with Iowa State and got kind of all their notes and what they teach, and we were teaching basically the linebackers when we're, you know, and there's some caveats here and there, but for the base way to fit the run is when we played what we called a dead key on the guard. And that was simply, if you got a run read from the guard, if he's out, you're blitzing the A gap. If he's down, you're blitzing the B gap. If he pulls, go with him and spill him. Uh, if he's not, if he doesn't spill the five technique first, but go with him and spill him. And that was as simple as it got. And it sounds overly simplistic maybe, but, you know, it was the ability to take a guy that, you know, we had just brought in some junior college linebackers that, that spring. All right, look, they'll be able to get this. This is not going to be a system that you have had to play in for two or three years to be comfortable in. I mean, you could put this in in a spring and then in a fall camp and be ready to roll from that position. Right? I'm speaking specifically of the inside linebacker position, but, you know, it gives you the flexibility. I think, you know, coaching in a multiple front and multiple coverage system in the past, the linebackers were, I think oftentimes we look at linebackers and think that they're maybe the least, I don't want to say least important, but, you know, you have to have talented corners. You have to have talented defensive linemen you know, your safeties are going to be big playmakers, especially in a split safety system. But people, I think, tend to look at, you know, the inside linebacker position and think, well, if we got guys just to get where they need to be and make tackles, we'll be fine. And that's fine, and, and that can be the case. But in this system, you were able to get guys that didn't need to be the smartest or be have the ability to learn the best or spend two or three years kind of in the cooker waiting for their turn, and they really know everything. So you know, I thought when you look how aggressive the linebackers can play, and you saw that with TCU. Their backers, especially as spill players, guard pulls they go with, and their guy um, is number 57 for them. He played and triggered downhill so fast through the pull schemes. It's extremely impressive, to be honest. And the thing that they were doing well, and again, when you don't have a lot of stuff to teach, you can really define and, and hone in on these techniques. And I talk a lot about when you're a linebacker and you got to scrape and spill pullers, that you are not going one for one. You are trying to get through your spill lane and make the play. And if you and if you run, when I say run through the smoke as fast as you can, there's a good chance you're not even going to get blocked. You're going to get through the lane you got to get through, and you're going to make a tackle. And that's exactly what the guy for TCU did multiple times. Texas it kept going to some version, and we'll kind of get into plays people use, but some version of, of pin pull and some version of counters. And this guy was incredible at just playing downhill through the spill lane playing running through the smoke and getting in the backfield making tackles on it and you know i think that again that system allows those guys to play free to play fast and they realize they don't have a ton of responsibilities so if you want a backer centric system where you got some guys that aren't the you know the best learners or you know they're not the most mature you got to play freshmen you got to play sophomores whatever it is 
think there's a lot of merit to, to playing in that from a run fit standpoint. You know, and then the middle of the field safety generally, again, this is just in general coverages, and there's some caveats, obviously, but when he's in the run fit, he fits off a of number three. And that's where it's really hard for them to make you short on a run play and make you, you know, put you in some conflict where, oh, you know, we got two blockers in the back and now they only got two defenders. And so we're going to hat hat and, and get the ball out. Like it's very hard for them to do that when you have the guy making it all right uh, off the ball. And again, now, does he make it right for minus one or plus two every time? No, sometimes it's plus four. But more often than not, the aggressiveness that the backers and the D-line can play with allow that guy to get the ball going sideways, sideways, and he ends up making tackles for plus one or two more often than he makes them for plus six. But he's always in the spot to, to even the numbers out. When you look at coaching that guy, maybe as opposed to other types of, of structures, what do you feel are the most important things that you're going to focus on whether that's day-to-day an individual or making sure it gets covered in group drills, skills that you want this guy to constantly be working in practice? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the number one thing that guy's got to do is play with eye discipline. He has got to be super disciplined with his eyes because you're going to ask him to do a lot of different things. And he's got to be, you know, I talked about how the backers maybe don't have to be as smart as they do if you play a multiple front, multiple coverage defense and you're a sim pressure fire zone team, but that guy does have to be very smart. That, that middle of the field safety, you know, we call it in the star, whatever, you know, whatever they call him in, uh, at other places. He was the, in the mid-90s in New Mexico. He was the Lobo. And he's got to know who he's keying on any given play. And he's got to play a lot of different hats because if you're playing a, you know, like a quarters or a, a double trap and he's a, a flat foot middle player, he's a, basically a linebacker at nine or ten yards. He's got to be able to track. He's got to be able to see pullers. He's got to be able to track through that stuff. He's got to be able to find number three, fit the run where he needs to fit. And when you're playing, maybe you sink the safeties down, double sky, and he bails. And now he's in the middle of the field. He's a post player. So he went from linebacker to deep safety in, you know, in one play. So I think that from a footwork standpoint, he's got to play all the same high safety footwork that your safeties would have to play. And from – a knowledge standpoint, he needs to know the back end and the linebacker fits as well as the safety and the inside linebacker. So I think those are the things that really come to play. And I really just, if you have a guy who just has a knack for making plays, he's just an instinctual player. And just maybe every now and then he does something that maybe you don't want him to do, but it ends up being the right thing. If you've got a guy like that, and you can put him out there and somehow he always makes a play, even if it's a backer. Right. I think there's a great defense for him because even if it's a linebacker, then maybe you just some coverages you're not, you don't run as often. Maybe you don't make him the vertical three player when three's a, a wide receiver. Or maybe you don't think, maybe you don't, you know, play cover three and make the guy pedal through the post that way. But there's just these guys, when you see the really good ones, you know, I would say to play with the same guy for like two or three years. He was like number 12. And you watch him and, and nothing screams like great athlete, nothing screams like talent, NFL, any of that. But boy make play after play after play after play and just instinctual and understood the game so uh, those are the kind of characteristics you're looking for and the things you need to try to coach so looking at the other side of things the offense may be struggling to run with their 10 personnel or 11 personnel spread sets probably is going to start bringing some people in right condensing that down bring 12 personnel or 21 personnel whatever they might use what things are you seeing that are typically done in that regard by the offenses to try to get the chalk back? And what's the correct response? What's the correct adjustment? 
if you play the trap version of it, right? If you play the trap version of it and you're counting the corners to be your force players, I think it makes it hard for the offense to run outside run plays because typically, and especially if you watch TCU, no matter who was forcing the ball at TCU, they were setting great edges, right? The ball there is spill, spill to somebody, set an edge, and then the middle runner and the high safeties are running and swarming, and it made it difficult. So when, when you're seeing the trap version, the perimeter runs are tough, in my opinion. The, the teams have generally liked pulling people. They generally like pin pull. They generally like counter. They generally like power. I, I don't really understand why, I guess, because you generally see that the backers go so fast because they're not distracted by you know, keying an off-the-ball tight end or worried about taking somebody vertical in the box. There's not a lot of conflict in the linebackers. So when somebody runs power against this defense, the front side backer, he sees the guard go down. He blitzes the B-gap. The tackle comes off the double because if you have a five technique, we played with five techniques. So you're playing with a five, tight end tackle, double to five. Front side backer blitzes that. The tackle's got to come off. So now the backside linebacker goes around. He hits the D-gap, spills the guard. It pulled, he beats the guard over there, spills it pulled, the ball bounces out to the nickel or, or the high safety or whoever's supposed to show up in that in that crease. And there wasn't a great answer, I didn't think, for the offense for that. If I had a great answer for them, I would say run right at it. Right? As vertical as you can run the ball is probably the best thing you can do. Now if you can't block the guys you can't block them, that makes it tough. But as vertical as you can do it is what I would do. Because what they want is to spill the ball a lot. Give the, the middle of the field safety angles to run the ball down. So, you know, you see a lot of counters. Texas got into uh, unbalanced a ton. I mean, they were playing unbalanced. Off the top of my head, I bet it was probably 20 snaps, maybe 25. And they had variations of it. But the one thing that they kept doing is they kept bringing the runs back to, like, the nub side. And, you know, the, when the, the very first time they did it, TCU did not over-rotate. They did not bring the guys over. But Texas was in an unbalanced formation. It was a, one of those unbalanced formations where they're not actually unbalanced. Like the tight end on the front side is dead, but the tight end, there's a tight end on the back side. He's just off. So from a numbers perspective, they could easily ran back there. It's just been like nub 12 personnel, nub trace at 12 personnel. So they did run counter back to the strong side on that. It didn't go. I think I like second player game, but then they kept going like a, a bunch, a tight bunch unbalanced and bringing counters and bringing pin pulls back to the open side. And TCU wasn't over rotated. It was like a tackling practice for them half the time. And it gives you that ability too. like, you don't have to tip your hat because you have these extra moving parts that are off the ball. I guess from the unbalanced perspective, maybe they think that they're going to get you out of the three high because you're going to rotate somebody down and now it's going to look more like a two high structure and that's possible. But, um, you know, you see a ton of counter, you see a ton of gap scheme, and then, you know, you see this unbalanced stuff show up more and more with people playing it. Looking at the back end of the defense, the coverages, what types of things were you seeing specifically in the TCU-Texas game? Yeah, so, you know, TCU played some one high with it, start out in it, both safeties kind of down or buzz one safety down. I would say that it probably wasn't a, the best picture of TCU's coverage structures because of all the unbalanced and the unbalanced adjustments. So there's probably other games that would give you a better insight into what they're doing. But, you know, I was a part of playing it out as two quarters on both sides, like Palms quarters. And the middle safety had number three vertical. We played double trap, middle safety had number three vertical. We played double cloud, right, middle safety had three vertical. We played double sky with the safeties, and it became post with the middle safety, corners balance. So, you know, I think that there's so many different combinations you can do. But when you look at what was happening, TCU was playing 
either quarters or in their cover three, the ball was going to the outside receivers on vertical routes. They were running some mesh concepts and they were running vertical routes. And I really can't remember. I mean, they had a couple double digs. I can't remember the ball going in the middle of the field very often, if at all. I know one time it did on a, on a curl route close to the hash and it got tipped and should have been intercepted. And it felt like the ball just went to the verticals on that at every time. And the one thing, you know, obviously TCU played a hell of a game, so it's hard to be critical, but I thought that if they have more trap or they have more cloud, it could have been beneficial just based on where the ball kept going, but their corners were winning. So it's hard to go away from what's working because the corners were winning on the edge, but you know, I thought maybe they'd give them some relief and try to get into some cloud or some trap there to, to do that. But the coverage structures, if you talk to Iowa State and if you ever hear them speak about it, that was, ironically, that was the reason, one of the big reasons why they got into it is it didn't feel like their secondary or their, their corners maybe specifically could hold up in the Big 12 week after week after week. So how can we play some cover two and some trap without just giving up in the run game, right? I think there's maybe that connotation, like if you're going to play cover two and and you're going to carry verticals on both sides with your apex players, then you're really going to play the run game short. And so you're not maybe as good. If you're not Alabama and Georgia, like playing a short and run game is probably not advantageous to win a lot of games. So, you know, they came up with this plan and they were able to take some pressure off the corners and let their corners do what they were good at and jam, reroute, play the flat, you know, work their sale techniques, come up, set edges and tackle. And, you know, obviously you know, they were the number one run defense in the Big 12 that first year they started doing it. So, I think it was 2017. I think that from a coverage perspective, it gives you enough flexibility to it. We don't have good corners. We can protect them and not lose, lose in the run game. Right? So I think that's a, something a lot of us go through. There's, not, there's a reason why when you watch the NFL draft, there's like six corners drafted in the first round because there just ain't that many good ones. And they can do it play after play after play after play at a high level. So I think it's a great idea and understanding that you can – use this coverage structure and use this defensive structure to, to take some pressure off the corners. Changing pace here, we'll get into our option tips this week, and the game that you looked at was Navy versus Notre Dame. A lot of experience on the Notre Dame staff playing against the option. I know Al Golden's defensive coordinator played against the option a lot as the head coach at Temple and as the head coach at Miami. I played Georgia Tech every year, and, you know, um, when Coach Freeman was at Cincinnati, he had to play Navy every year. So, you know, a lot of experience on the staff doing it. And, you know, for the most part, a good game plan. And I think these are some of the things we talk about every week about the stuff just keeps showing up. And it's using what's on the tape to make sure you're, you're getting better at some of the stuff. But the first thing I'll talk about is they, they played multiple fronts. They played a 4-4-1 high structure at times, and then they played a like a tight front, almost bare-looking structure at times. And if you work it, through spring practice and through the summer and into training camp and you're spending a week or a day every week on it, like a Sunday week, I think I said on here before, you know, we knew in the American Athletic Conference at the time you were going to have to beat Navy to win the conference championship. So we would every Sunday spend 10 minutes or so, you know, it's a, it's a helmet only practice. You're getting your key reads in and you're, you know, you're doing the things that uh, you got to do to, to keep yourself fresh on how to play against the option. So if you're doing all that, that's good. But, I personally think you want to steer clear from playing multiple fronts. This stuff happens so fast for those D linemen. And to play a three and then go to playing a four-eye or to play a two-eye and then have to go play a four-eye, 
I'm not saying it's not possible he can't get it done, and Notre Dame won the game. So I'm not trying to be critical of it. But I think that you better have a lot of practice invested if you want to play multiple fronts because the blocks are different, the plays are different, the keys are different. I'm a bigger fan of being in one front telling the defense alignment, look, these are the four or five plays we will get the whole game. These are the other 10 or 12. Like, we're not worried about these. Don't worry about him doing that. Don't worry about him blocking this play. Don't worry about him doing that. We're not going to get that play. Here are the blocks that you're going to get. Here's the down block you're going to get. Here's how they're going to give you a horn. Here's what you do if they horn you. Here's what they do if they arc you, if they zone at you, right, from this technique. So I would um, just consider playing one front the best you can. Don't get bored by the fundamentals and the details of it because I think it's so important that this is a details and fundamental game. Right, you are not there to trick them or to stem. I get it too. Like in the back end and the secondary, if you're playing a normal team that throws the ball a lot, you're going to be moving the back end around. You're going to play multiple coverages. You're going to, you know, you're going to try to disguise things. I don't know that that's the best thing to do against these triple teams to really execute. So I would always consider just starting with one front. And if we're really, really experienced in it, then maybe we can add some wrinkles. But you know, one front, maybe a stun or two that's going to help you, and, and that's kind of me from a front perspective that's where you want to live cornerback play we talk about this all the time one thing i never mentioned on here in 2015 we had to beat navy to go to the conference championship and it was keenan reynolds and it was maybe i don't know if it's the best team they ever had but it was i mean in recent memory at least but it was really good and keenan reynolds is one of the best players i've ever coached against but we had a first round corner named william jackson still playing the nfl and uh, we didn't play him in the game we, we use safeties at corner just because of the nature of the game. So, you know, I think about that and I, I watch some of these teams and, you know, there was a lot of crack replaced issues in the Notre Dame game. They're not corners, just off, 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 not pulling the trigger fast enough, not getting downhill and resetting the edge. I mean, you know, they'll crack and they'll replace, but then they see an offensive lineman pulling around like on counter option or a fullback coming out there and they're not getting to ball depth to set the edges. So, if you can, if you have the option, sometimes it's better to play a safety. Somebody who's been in a run game a little more at that position. It gives you a little bit maybe faster crack replaces, a little more violent edges, a little bit better tackler possibly. So I would always consider your options there. Are your true corners and your coverage guys, are they the best guys to go in and play against the option, knowing, A, they're probably only going to throw the ball five or six times. And at least in the college game, the likelihood is our safeties are, can cover their wideouts anyway. Right? But it's going to be the run game that's really going to matter. So, you know, I would always consider that, you know, coaching up the cracker place, coaching up the cracker place. And it comes back to some of it comes back to alignment. If you're going to pressure corners, it's going to be really hard to cracker place. If you're going to play off, you should be able to trigger fast. Now I put you eight yards away, but you got to trigger fast. You got to get the ball depth and set edges when there's full backs and, and guards pulling around to get you. And I'd say the last thing Notre Dame blitz, they ran a two, two eye front and they stepped into threes, and they brought both backers in the A-gap. And the first time they did it, they did it twice in the, in the first, probably within the first 10 plays, and they're both first midline. The first time they did it, inside linebacker to the side of the midline did not cross the guards. They ended up with two in the B-gap, midline got out, ball got handed off and got out. You know, the second time they did it is really more of a picture of what happens when you blitz against them. And that was the three technique steps out. He gets two yards vertical up the field, maybe maybe not even, and then the backer gets in the A-gap and gets swallowed up by the guard, and it created a crease between the guard and the three technique, right? So there's really nobody out of a gap. 
but you're really not in position to make that play if you're the three technique and the guards creating space by taking the backer down through the A gap. So, and, the, and that one went for like 40 yards in the touchdown. So it's important to have some blitzes. It's important to be able to pressure them. It's important to be able to do that. Just be very cautious about creating vertical seams and playing your guys. You know, I understand when you're playing normal offenses, that, you know, sometimes you want to move the D line and get them vertical up the field and try to get negatives. And I do that as well. I think obviously that's a, a staple of everybody's defense, but you're playing the option and they can hand it to the fullback so quick. He can get vertical so quick, right? It's so important to like make sure you're not creating vertical seams when you blitz versus the option because, you know, Notre Dame found out that, you know, just a yard or two yards can be enough for the fullback to skate through there. So you know, I would say those were things you can learn from that game. Like you, know, you better be really, really coached up to play multiple fronts. Right, your cornerback play is so important. They're not the forgotten guys out there. They have to be, have to be ready to go. Maybe potentially look at it from a personnel standpoint. Cracker place is so important, especially now that they're not able to chop the safeties like they used to. And then blitzing and creating vertical seams. Right, you want to make sure you're playing the the non-blitzers at the line so they can react and play. Some great tips there today from some of the games of this past week. I know in two weeks we have a ton of big games, right? It's it's rivalry week, and we have all the matchups there. But I do think this week there's some uh, interesting matchups here to take a look at. What what are you going to be paying attention to this weekend? Conference races and how these things are going to play out. It's interesting in a lot of these leagues in the Big 12 and in the SEC how these things are going to end up playing out in the SEC West at least, and, and who's it going to? I think LSU did LSU clinch the SEC West now? Yeah, they did. Okay, they did. Yeah. So, you know, I guess the Big 12 is, is still out there. It's kind of who can win that. And, you know, I think that the ACC clinched too now, right? Is it Carolina versus Clemson? Yes. Yeah. So, so that's good. So it does kind of set you up a little bit for, for, for rivalry week and, and get ready to go for the uh, week after that, which is conference championship week and see where the college football playoff goes. I think that, uh, Maybe we're setting up for another game of the century between the Buckeyes and uh, Michigan. Yeah, it, it's coming here. I, I'm interested to see what Illinois' defense can do against Michigan, right? And Michigan's just, you know, their lights out on offense this year. I, I think it is going to be game of the century, uh, part two, coming up in two weeks here. But, you know, I've been impressed with Illinois and what they've done and we talked about them earlier, fixing things with fundamentals, right? Just a team that's very fundamentally sound, yeah. not necessarily flashy. Uh, they certainly are going to be tested this week. You know, front-wise, they play similar to Michigan. So, you know, we'll see, you know, it's going to be like they're not going to be surprised by, you know, by kind of what they look like up front. So it will be interesting. Definitely, I think uh, I think forward to that game, though, against High State and Michigan and think, what uh, Bo and Woody would think when they see a, a Ohio State-Michigan game that's going to be 63-58 to 58 with 97 passes thrown. But <laughs> right. that might have been that might have been the uh, amount of passes for the whole 10-year war. But Could have been. Uh, it, it will be uh, it will certainly be an exciting end of this, or you know end of the college football season, beginning of bowl season if you want to look at it optimistically. Yeah, there, there's a couple I think big conference matchups this week traditional matchups one I think has interest is just two two higher ranked teams you got number seven USC at, at number 16 UCLA so you got the battle battle for LA there and 
the game has a lot of meaning. I, I can't think back maybe to how far that, you know, that it's had implications like this and potentially, you know, team getting into that final four this year. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, it'll be interesting with yeah how they get into the, into the conference championship game. And then, you know, even if I think Oregon's still the highest ranked pack 12, no, maybe not. they lost, right? They did lose. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think about how long it's been, was the last time UCLA had been to the Rose Bowl? Been a while. <laughs> and when's the last time we were talking about UCLA potentially going to the Rose Bowl on November sixteenth? <laughs> right. So right. That, that, I mean, that's just as long ago, probably. Right. That's, I mean, that's, that's Cal Stanford fans on the field type time, probably. So. Yeah, and I do think you do have a, a pretty good matchup with number ten Utah, number twelve Oregon coming off coming off a loss. You know, how are they going to step up here and? Uh, you know, Dan Dan Lanning, obviously known for what he does on defense. And Utah certainly has impressed the last few seasons with what they've been doing as well. You know, I think about the Utah program, and I just think, and I know maybe Kyle Whittingham was probably never in, in jeopardy, his job or anything, but just the, like, in years 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, you can still get better as a program. And I think they've gotten better over time there. And, you know, like, I think sometimes it looks like, you know, well, you know, a couple of years into a program and we know what it's going to be, but I mean, he has gotten a program better every single year, I feel like. And, you know, just, it's uh, one of those things we, we don't necessarily look at or, or think about, but you can get, you can, you know, improve your program and get better every year. And even in, in year 12, 13, 14, 15, or wherever he is. So, but uh, it's been impressive to watch that. Definitely so. Some more games to watch and then certainly a ton of football over Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, as always, I appreciate the time you put into preparing for the episode and the great tips that you brought to us today. Yeah, it's great to be here, Keith. Love doing it.